Hello everyone, I think I've met some of you uh, maybe in tutorials and things and uh, also just hanging around here occasionally, uh, uh, time, time coming back and forth here to Oxford. Uh, it's nice to, nice to see you and uh, I, I remember from some of the tutorials there were a lot of Americans uh, here doing the, um, uh, doing the, the uh, MedAmp uh, Masters, I, I assume probably a few people might have stayed up a bit late, inadvisedly, like I did last night watching election returns. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll see if I can uh, if I can uh, hold it together here. Um, so uh, we have uh, today. My topic is uh, why men are muscular. Um, it's uh, one of those things that uh, is uh, kind of it comes up a lot when you talk about testosterone, uh, and I talk about testosterone a lot. Um, but uh, I might start with just talking quite a bit about testosterone. Uh, essentially, uh, testosterone uh, is uh, variable across cultures. It's a uh, it's it's a it's it's a hormone that uh, is uh, found at lower levels in what's called the developing world in in uh, people living under subsistence e ecologies. Uh, people who are under uh, what would be considered greater uh, ecological stress. Um, it's, it has a, uh, a, a lifetime profile where the variation in testosterone tends to be highest in young men. What we're looking at here is a, is a paper by uh, Peter Ellison uh, and colleagues, which, uh, which uh, looked at uh, levels of testosterone in men in a number of different locations uh, cross-culturally uh, and the, the line you see at the top is the pattern for uh, cross-sectional pattern of, of uh, testosterone in men living in Boston uh, below is Congo, Nepal, and Paraguay and as you can see there's a pattern in, in what we see in uh, the Western medical context of uh, men having high testosterone when they're young and uh, lower testosterone as they age, a, an age-related decline. However, this isn't a uh, this isn't a universal uh, trait in, in humans, and we see quite a flat uh, profile across the age range in men living in, in Paraguay and, and Nepal. So, um, what we can see from this uh, is that testosterone varies a lot. We know testosterone varies a lot from place to place, from person to person. Uh, and yet, all of these men in all of these areas uh, do not seem to show any kinds of signs of impaired fertility. So, testosterone, when we talk about testosterone, often it's talked about as male reproductive hormones. But in the basic nuts and bolts of reproduction, it seems not to be a, a, an important uh, effect of, um, of testosterone on, on reproduction. So. Question then is if testosterone varies this much and it doesn't directly influence uh, male fertility, then why does it vary so much? Um, so, testosterone across the life course uh, it plays uh, different different roles. It start in early fetal development. It, there has to be a, a certain amount of androgens, in, in, of, of which testosterone is the most uh, common, uh, but uh, a number of, of uh, what, are, what are considered um, uh, male reproductive hormones are, are necessary to divert the uh, developing fetus from an inherently 
female line of de development into a male line of development anatomically. So there's, it's a requirement for sexual differentiation. Um, later in life, it's important uh, to, at, the, uh, at the beginning of puberty and also for the development of secondary sexual traits. So there needs to be a certain threshold of testosterone that's present uh, later in life. And so, so there, there's a, a, an increase in testosterone just uh, prior to puberty. Um, However, then there's a lot of variation in testosterone in adult men. And one of the big uh, theories about why testosterone might vary so much is that testosterone is a very potent anabolic steroid. Uh, it has, a, a, in, in uh, laboratories, uh, if you place muscle cells in a, in a petri dish with, with testosterone, you get uh, enhanced growth of muscle cells. Uh, men who we know very well that men who, who sub supplement their uh, testosterone levels uh, have increased muscularity. So there, there's there's an important role of, of testosterone in, in building muscle. Uh, so one idea is that perhaps testosterone is a, a key hormone in somatic allocation in balancing the amount of muscle to fat in, in men. <clears throat> Um, in the, the, the first person to start talking about uh, sexual differentiation uh, and uh, sexual dimorphism, uh, it, we always go back to Darwin here, um, and he threw a lot of stuff in, in Descent of Man. So this is towards the end, of course, when he starts talking about men. Um, but uh, he, he says that uh, the differences between the sexes are, are, are greater uh, for humans than in most, uh, the quadru quadrumana is a, is a defunct uh, distinction of, of uh, the great apes that had uh, four, uh, four feet as opposed to two feet. It was a way to just distinguish humans from great apes at the time. Um, but not so great as, uh, as the mandrel. So, uh, Darwin early on noted that uh, men are more muscular than women. I'm sure someone else noticed that before that. But uh, Darwin was the first to start talking about it in context uh, with other animals. Um, more recently, there's been uh, a, a research and, and, uh, and hypotheses related to why muscularity might vary so closely with testosterone. Um, and as always, the best data often starts with birds. They're just great for studying anything that, uh, to do with reproduction, I find. Um, but uh, uh, Wingfield and, and colleagues came up, uh, came up with the idea that the uh, seasonal breeding and testosterone uh, Covary, and they, they decided, well, what, what happens if, in these dark-eyed juncos? Uh, they decided, what happens if we uh, augment these dark-eyed juncos? Uh, and they found that, these, that they had decreased body, uh, body uh, weights. They increased their mate-seeking activity. They became more competitive. And they also died uh, a lot earlier. Um, so the idea became one of testosterone being something of a two-edged sword, that it, it relates to muscularity and somatic 
activity, but it also may relate to, uh, to behavior and also relate to uh, immunity, that, uh, that higher testosterone might be related to, to being uh, to, uh, a uh, suppressed immune system. Um, in primates, uh, there's quite a clear correlation with dominance hierarchies and testosterone. So again, there's a pattern of, of perhaps behavior being modulated by testosterone. Males who are alpha in chimpanzees or mandrels have uh, very high levels of testosterone. It's sustained. And uh, they also have high levels of uh, parasites. And uh, they uh, tend to be uh, at a high level of competition uh, with uh, a lot of competitive interactions. And when they drop from alpha, they tend to drop quite quickly in their testosterone and in their position in the, in the troop. Um, so this, again, is this idea that maybe testosterone is upregulated when males are highly competitive for their reprodu in reproductive activity, and, and then it drops down when they're no longer competitive. Um, there, there also is the, the theory that testosterone is closely related to a lot of signaling that uh, testosterone is related particularly to signaling of red. So this is, uh, these photos from Joe Setchell uh, are of the same mandrel. This is before he became alpha. This is while he's the dominant male. And this is afterwards. As you can see, they, it, when, they're, when they're dominant, they go bright red. It's really, really bright red color. And that correlates very closely with their testosterone levels. And the thinking is that maybe this kind of, this bright red signal is saying, hey, I'm, I'm a dominant male. Don't mess with me, first of all. I got a lot of testosterone. I may have a lot of muscle. I should have a lot of muscle. And I also am strong enough to fight off infections. So I can, I can deal with this double-edged sword, and I can still kind of wield it or something to, to maintain my position. Um, and so you can see this is, these are two different males, but this is the dominant male, and this is a subordinate male. And you can see that the red is very easily visible, and it's, it's something that you can see from quite far away. So these, these challenge hypotheses have been brought together with the idea of human sexual dimorphism uh, and, and thinking, well, perhaps males have all this extra muscle, all this extra testosterone, because some of them are dominant, some of them are, are, are uh, signaling that they can fight off infections, they're, uh, they're able to, um, to, to uh, demonstrate that they have testosterone by, by carrying around a lot of extra muscle. Um, so in comparative perspective, uh, we, we can put humans uh, with other primates and look at levels of sexual dimorphism. And uh, when you look at that, humans, uh, they score fairly high. These, this is on a, a visual, a set of visual traits, which is uh, so, uh, it's an index of, of, of uh, visually salient traits that are sexually dimorphic. Uh, and so humans are, are similar to gorillas uh, or, um, in, in their level of, of uh, sexual dimorphism. Uh, 
and uh, they they tend to fall in a category that's that's uh, usually in, in mixed groups of, uh, of multi multiple males. Uh, so there's an idea that perhaps the level of sexual dimorphism in humans relates to uh, it relates to our, our mating system that was slightly competitive or high or relatively competitive. But the weird thing, as always, humans are a bit of an exception about a lot of things. Uh, so we are dimorphic, but the males are dimorphic from females, but females are dimorphic from males in that uh, body composition in humans, as far as proportion of muscle to fat, up until puberty is roughly similar. Uh, is, uh, 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 children growing up have fairly similar levels of, of, uh, of the ratio of muscle to fat. But at puberty, males start developing quite a lot of muscle, and females start developing quite a lot of fat. So that makes uh, humans uh, fall in two places on the dimorphism scale, depending on whether you're talking about uh, absolute dimorphism or you're talking about fat-free mass dimorphism, which is higher for humans. Um, but what this uh, this later uh, refinement of the of the visual uh, the, the visual dimorphism uh, index found was that humans really are more in a multi-level sort of mating system, not so much uh, a uh, multiple males competing for one female or uh, or, or uh, multi-male, multi-female, uh, but that the, the uh, male reproductive strategies tend to be uh, uh, tend, tend to tend to fall into multiple different categories, which is not surprising. We already knew this about humans, but uh, we we see most similar to other primates that have uh, a similar sort of nested uh, structure to uh, mating systems as as humans. Uh, so when we're to just kind of bring this together. A, a, uh, a little bit. We're, when we're talking about male life history allocations, uh, we think that testosterone, androgens in general, might be uh, important in modulating where energy from the ecology is put into uh, a developing human being, into a, in, or into a, an adult human being. So. Uh, if there are, are higher levels of uh, uh, if there are higher levels of energy available in the ecology uh, through greater uh, greater access to calories, fewer pathogens, or better uh, better maternal invest investment, then the levels of, of testosterone are thought to be uh, the, the thinking is that the, the, the levels of testosterone are, are helpful in in distributing the uh, uh, the investment into things like childhood growth and skeletal structure, muscle mass, and also uh, under conditions where there's greater uh, stress from pathogens, there'd be uh, more immune resistance and reduction in androgens, uh, or, or there would be uh, investment in adipose tissue if, if uh, males are in a position that's not very competitive. Um, so, this this idea was put forward by uh, Richard Rubieskus, and 
uh, it's where I started my research, looking at uh, the expectation that, that if I look at people who have certain ecological constraints and I compare them with people who don't have those constraints, I should be able to see some of this, this effect of, of androgens being modulated by those constraints uh, in, in humans. So. But the thing with all of this muscularity and battling and double-edged swords and red-faced mandrels is that humans also are relatively unusual in the degree to which they are caregiving. And muscularity may not be that great an advertisement of, of ability, competitive ability if, if we're talking about competition in the sense of male-male competition or competition for, for more mates. Uh, because males, seem, males also provision uh, and, and males contribute quite a lot of the caloric uh, investment and protect, protective investment into their offspring. So uh, the previous uh, idea of like this life history allocation has been slightly shifted because males, humans, when they are fathers, uh, have lower levels of testosterone. Um, there's a fairly, it's a fairly robust finding um, that when, male, when men become fathers, they have uh, higher levels of testosterone. I mean, sorry, when they become fathers, they have lower levels of testosterone. Uh, and similarly, if they're cohabiting with partner, uh, levels of testosterone in some cultures are lower. Um, yet, more uh, this this was uh, Peter Gray first started finding the uh, evidence for this kind of effect, this uh, this uh, relationship or, or or provisioning sort of uh, effect on testosterone, um, but. Later, uh, there, there was the finding that, that muscularity is still maintained. So if testosterone is going up and down to, in the somatic allocation sort of story, then fathers are doing something different than non-fathers because testosterone goes down and muscularity does not, in, uh, it, well, at least in, in Poland and in uh, the Philippines. Uh, there seems to be this picture of, of men maintaining muscle while reducing testosterone. There also seems to be uh, 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 a cross-cultural variation in that men who provision more as part of their, uh, their, their cultural uh, practices have uh, greater, greater variation in their, in their muscularity. Um, and that seems to, it, it, it doesn't always cleanly correlate with uh, whether they're, they have offspring, but there seems to be a, quite, quite a lot of cross-cultural variation in the, in, in the degree to which something like a provisioning hypothesis operates. And um, so in order to explain some of that variation, uh, uh, cross-cultural variation, uh, Chris Kazawa has, has suggested that there's perhaps uh, instead of male uh, men when they become fathers 
reducing testosterone and somehow maintaining their uh, muscularity through some kind of metabolic effect or something, I mean, through some kind of um, interaction with, the, with muscle tissue. It might be that men have a temporal adjustment in the timing at which they express testosterone. So there might be diurnal effects on fathers where, it, where what we see is low testosterone through the day because as we were talking about before, there's the behavioral effects of testosterone, that maybe this kind of competitive mate-seeking behavior is uh, being downregulated during, during the waking hours. And then those fathers are building up their muscle overnight by having raised testosterone profiles through the evening. So um, this kind of uh, builds on the story of this idea of a, of a, a male reproductive uh, investment or, or um, uh, somatic allocation by bringing in uh, this, this other aspect of, of human male uh, reproduction. So with all that in mind, uh, I asked a number of questions uh, kind of contrasting the hypotheses that I've, I've been describing. First, if, if muscularity in general is a reliable signal of, of salivary testosterone in, in some measure, either uh, in, in daily average or something about a diurnal profile or something like that, in which case muscularity should be something that is uh, one of those signals, you know, like a mandrel's face. It's something that uh, is sexually selected. Um, but if, if the paternity or caregiving kind of hypotheses have a, um, an influence, then it might still be a reliable signal of salivary testosterone, but uh, social conditions might shift the timing at which that testosterone is expressed. So a muscular father maybe has a different pattern than a non-muscular father, and therefore it's still a signal, it's just modulated in, in the way that the that men are are um, expressing the testosterone through the day. And finally, there's the possibility that something about being a father just generally adjusts muscularity that, uh, and, and the relationship with testosterone and, and between testosterone and muscularity. Uh, so uh, these are kind of the questions I, I've, I've been coming up with thinking about how testosterone muscle and, 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 uh, and provisioning fit together. Because, so the idea here is like, if you were to just select a random lineup of men, how, how likely are we going to be able to tell which one of these guys has the highest testosterone? Which one of these guys is uh, most uh, likely to be a father? Which one is most likely to uh, to be investing in his offspring as opposed to uh, seeking other mates. Uh, is there a way that we can see that from men's testosterone? Uh, is there a way that we would, we would be able to, to pick these guys out by just looking at their muscularity and their, and their testosterone? Um, so as a bit of background, I thought I'd just talk a little bit about my research on testosterone. 
Uh, so we're kind of pulling back from the muscle thing just for the moment and uh, talking about how testosterone varies uh, in men without really ta uh, looking at, at uh, these kinds of investment questions of, of, uh, of paternity or, or uh, provisioning. Um, so I uh, work in Bangladesh and in the UK and uh, what, I, what I use as an experimental method is, is, is uh, migration studies. So I, I look at people as we were talking, as I was showing you before with the battery, there's the ecological constraints, how much energy is coming into the battery. Uh, the way migration studies work uh, are that you consider that battery here, that the energy coming into batteries here is, some, is more constrained than the energy coming into batteries here. And so if you look at somebody who's, who's migrated at different stages in one's life, you, you can get an idea about whether or not getting a, a, an amount of energy in your battery at a certain stage of life is expressed for the rest of your life, or uh, whether you respond immediately, or perhaps uh, things get set. Maybe, maybe uh, that, that, that moving of the needle from more muscle or, or growing taller gets, gets set at some point in, in life. And if you migrate from, uh, in, in this case, Bangladesh to the UK, uh, will you see, um, uh, you, you may not see any, any difference at all if somebody migrates later. Um, so the reasons why Bengalis are great uh, for, for looking at migration in the UK is that we have a really a, a, a very um, cohesive and long uh, established migrant community here in the UK, all living in really a, a small number, about 90% uh, originate from one region of uh, Bangladesh, really one city-state area called Silet, and most uh, live within uh, a few boroughs of the uh, of the U of, of London. So there's a there's a nice picture of of, of basically uh, two families living in in uh, in London and Silet. And they have uh, they have uh, been experiencing these different ecologies, but they are uh, they're very closely connected. A lot of uh, there's a lot of marriage back and forth. So you have a nice multi generational population uh, migrating between Salem and, and and London. I kind of uh, foreshadowed this talking about the battery, but. The idea is that the UK is an affluent environment, that it's energetically affluent, uh, that we have a relatively sedentary lifestyle, that we have large, uh, large amounts of, of uh, high caloric intake that we don't burn off very quickly, and that we are, uh, we are living in relatively uh, aseptic kind of conditions and in, in, uh, very, very little exposure to to uh, waterborne diseases or tropical diseases. Uh, and in comparison, in Bangladesh, there's uh, greater physical activity. The, uh, the access to food is, is, uh, is, is less processed. People, it tends to be home, cooked at home. Um, 
and there's greater uh, exposure to to uh, to uh, waterborne diseases. There's not much in terms of uh, public health and sanitation, and these things can cut across socioeconomic gradients. Uh, there tend to be uh, so there's there's a general exposure to a lot of uh, a, a lot of what would be considered pathogen stress. So some restrictions, some some uh, some restrictions on that on that uh, energetic availability. Um, I took uh, two I took uh, two ethnic groups. Uh, I had a, a group of, of British-born men of European eth ethnic background. Basically, they they had to have both parents born in the UK and they had to be born in the UK. Uh, and uh, they uh, they formed uh, an, a, a residence group to compare because you would have multiple generations of, of men exposed to the same sort of ecological conditions. Uh, so they, they performed they were a control group in the UK. <laughs> I then looked at uh, men who spent all of their lives in Bangladesh. Um, uh, men who uh, moved before the age of, or, or they moved after the age of 18. This, this clock is supposed to be something like a, a, life, a life history. So uh, men who had exposure to the UK at any point after uh, they turned 18. Uh, child migrants or young migrants who arrived at some point before the age of 18, so they had limited exposure to uh, conditions in, in Bangladesh. And then British-born uh, Bangladeshi, so they, they fall into the, British, the Bangladeshi ethnic group, but their, uh, their ecological exposure is the same as, uh, as the Europeans. Um, what I did is, um, the, the great thing about testosterone will and for for these kinds of studies, is that it's relatively easy to measure. It's it's present in saliva. It uh, is stable when it's when it's preserved correctly or, or stored correctly, uh, and people can collect it themselves. So you can send send people home, and they they collect their samples uh, and return them to you by post or when you next find them. So it's. It's, it's a relatively easy uh, uh, biomarker. Um, I, took, I asked the men to take three samples a day uh, on two non-consecutive days, so I could get an idea of what their testosterone is just sort of normally. Um, and I, I asked them to give a sample the moment they woke up, uh, 30 minutes after that, and then right before bed. Uh, so we know about the, the testosterone has this diurnal pattern. You know, I was talking about how uh, men, we think maybe fathers, adjust their diurnal patterns in some way. Uh, so by, uh, by collecting uh, the initial, uh, that initial 30 minutes, you get an idea of how much uh, a, male's, a man's responding to his ecology, to his, his, his surroundings versus what his baseline levels are. At least that's the idea. Um, and 
the, the other thing about the testosterone in, in saliva is that it's, uh, it's reflective of the bioactive component of, of, of uh, testosterone. It's not, it's not bound up with uh, these, um, these hormone bind binding globulins, which might uh, reduce the effectiveness of, of testosterone. Um, so it gives some idea of what, what the cells of the body might see in terms of testosterone. Uh, it, it, testosterone passes freely through cell membranes, and so in a way it's, it's, it's a bit like a, a, um, a radio signal. It's transmitted throughout the body. Uh, and when you collect it from saliva, you're getting a picture of how, how strong the signal is. So uh, to get an idea of how much social commitment somebody has, I asked them for, uh, to, to give me a bit of demographic measures, so whether they're cohabiting with a spouse or partner, uh, whether they were fathers, uh, and also uh, I asked the, the age of their children, number of children, all those kinds of fertility questions, uh, with the idea that non-cohabiting non-fathers would, one would expect, be the least uh, the, the, it would be most highly competitive as far as the, their commitments to, uh, to reproduction. They're, they're, un, they're unlikely to be modulating their, their testosterone in order to uh, adjust to behavior or, um, to, or if there is a signal of, of uh, testosterone in muscularity, one would expect the signal to be strongest in these men uh, if, if it's a competitive signal. Uh, so as a single, a single variable, a, a, a single factor, uh, I have that group is the highest, and then cohabiting non-fathers is next highest, non-cohabiting. Then uh, there's uh, a fair amount of evidence that men who are living with very young children show the clearest uh, fatherhood effects. So uh, fathers in, with children under the age of five seem to be, uh, at least in some of Peter Gray's uh, work, these men seem to have lower levels of testosterone than fathers of, of children over age five. So one would, one would expect that a cohabiting father of a child under five would probably have the highest commitment towards provisioning or caregiving or whatever that might be going on with the effects of testosterone on, on muscularity and, and how social, social variables might influence. I um, measured um, a, a few physical measures, so standing height, weight, uh, and then to get this, to get an idea of muscularity, uh, if you take three measures around the mid upper arm, if you find the midpoint on the upper arm, and you take uh, three uh, three measures, the, the circumference, uh, the bicep skin fold, and the tricep skin fold, you can generate something called like the MUAM, the mid upper arm muscle, uh, which is roughly like a cross section through the arm at the midpoint of the humerus it gives you an idea of how much, how much skeletal muscle a man has. Um, at least gives a, it gives a rough idea which 
correlates fairly nicely with, with CT scans and that kind of thing of, of, of you know, measuring exactly how much muscle plus bone uh, is, is made, uh, how much a, a man's arm is made up of muscle plus bone. It also gives you an idea of how much uh, axial fat a man has. So it gives you an idea of, of body apportionment quite nicely. And so that, that was uh, how I, I uh, measured uh, musculature to get an, at least a picture of, of how muscular men work. Um, so just to bring this back, uh, the idea is that maybe these men uh, in Bangladesh would have uh, more muscle, have more testosterone, which then means they can invest more into muscle, while uh, well. Uh, I mean, men, men in the UK would have more uh, testosterone, which means more muscle. Men in Bangladesh would have less testosterone, and uh, it may be diverting uh, resources towards immune resistance or, uh, or towards uh, storage and adipose tissue. Uh, so, uh, what I found was, um, let's see, just cutting it off a little bit, but um, migration to the UK was uh, associated with higher testosterone uh, in uh, men who came to the UK as children and men who were, uh, and Bangladeshi men, uh, children of Bangladeshi migrants who were born in the UK. They had higher testosterone than everyone else. Uh, so these are, uh, these are daily, uh, this, these, this is just the waking sample and the bedtime sample. Uh, but it gives you an idea there wasn't a, a lot of variation in that first uh, awakening response for, for um, these ecological effects. Um, what we draw from that is that uh, something happens in childhood to these men that uh, when they migrate that brings about this upregulation of testosterone levels. They have higher testosterone. Uh, and it's, it's higher even than the British European comparative group. These, were, these British European men live in the same neighborhoods as the Bangladeshis. They're all from kind of east, east end of London. Uh, they're of similar socioeconomic class. Um, so as a, as, a as a control group, it's, it's quite striking that uh, Men living under conditions of uh, what would be um, perhaps a social, a social position and, and uh, in poverty, or in relative poverty compared to other people in London, uh, have much higher testosterone if they migrate. If not, they have testosterone that, that matches what you, uh, what you would see in Bangladesh. Um, and there was no effect on, uh, for adult migrants. So uh, testosterone appears fixed by these early life uh, sorts of events like migration. Uh, and that trend is strongest if men migrate early in their childhood. So men who migrated in the first nine years of their childhood had higher testosterone than men who migrated uh, before the age of 19. So uh, in the trend, there's a trend towards what is seen in the older uh, migrants, 
that it's a very flat, no, no, no difference in, in, in testosterone, uh, depending on what age they migrated. Um, so age of migration appeared to have a really clear effect on uh, adult testosterone. So back to muscle, though. So the, the levels of muscle on these guys uh, was lower. So these are, these are my, uh, the, the guys who uh, migrated as children uh, or were born in the UK. Uh, and this is the muscle. This is the age, age at which they were recruited. So um, for both the European group and the migrant, uh, child migrants and second generation guys, uh, there wasn't much of an age-related trend. And uh, there was a difference in younger men in their, in their levels of, of muscle. That, that, but it, it's, it's much higher than comparative men in, in Bangladesh. Uh, so these guys have much higher testosterone and lower muscle. Um, so something, something's going on with these migrant and second generation guys that is not, not related to the amount of muscle that, that they have. Uh, so testosterone's high. So, so from, from this we can draw that testosterone is high, muscle is not necessarily high. Because uh, these guys have similar levels of testosterone as these guys. So something's going on in adjustment of, of testosterone. So this is where I am now in re returning to those questions of whether uh, muscularity is a reliable signal of, of, of testosterone um, and whether social conditions might be influencing these, this interplay between testosterone and, and muscularity. Um, so, what I so so for the for these first two questions about whether whether muscularity is a reliable signal and whether social conditions affect uh, affect testosterone, uh, I I uh, did a, a, a multiple linear regression and also a multi-level model to uh, to keep uh, repeat measures. Uh, of testosterone, give an idea of, of, of men's testosterone um, uh, as the dependent variable uh, and uh, took into account age, physical activity both uh, in, the work, in work and whether they exercise regularly, uh, BMI, uh, where they live, uh, the social variables, so either fatherhood or, or, or cohabitation and, uh, or that measure of provisioning where non-cohabiting uh, non non-fathers versus uh, cohabiting up to cohabiting fathers of, of children under five. And whether muscularity interacts with either ecology or these social variables, whether somehow these, these, uh, these particular variables are, are, are altered, or whether muscularity is, is, uh, is, effect, uh, is a different signal depending on which ecology you're in, or whether you're a father or not. Um, and then for the third question, do social con conditions modify the relationship between salivary testosterone and muscle? I, I kind of flipped it around. I looked at whether, uh, if, if you look at muscularity of men, uh, do you find that testosterone 
uh, predicts muscularity. And uh, I also had an exploratory model inference uh, to, kind of, to, to see, to compare a number of different possible models to, to, to check what would maybe explain variations in muscularity. And again, it's, it's this, the same sorts of, uh, 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 the, the same sorts of covariates there to, to, to test that. Uh, so, is muscularity a reliable signal of salivary testosterone? Uh, it's not. It's not at all. It's, uh, it's, um, uh, it varies depending on social conditions. So, men who are cohabiting, uh, they, uh, they seem to have a uh, muscularity, a muscular man is cohabiting, but not a father. Uh, has it uh, has is more muscular if he has a a, a more rapid uh, increase in testosterone in the morning. Um, if he's a father, it makes no difference between the guys who are non fathers living who should be the most competitive group of all. So um, so it's it's not it's not a reliable signal. Um, also, uh, when you compare men living in Bangladesh with men living in the UK, uh, the, the strength of the signal of, of muscularity to testosterone is, is stronger in Bangladesh. But even so, if you, if you go to Bangladesh, if you just select men in Bangladesh, you cannot determine what, which men are more muscular by the amount of testosterone. So it may be that ecology kind of constrains the amount that uh, muscularity relates to testosterone, but it's still not a useful signal, even if you if you're looking in a, in a more constrained uh, ecology. Uh, so, question two: do, do social conditions associated with reduced competition uh, influence levels of testosterone? Um, they seem to influence <coughs> at the uh, middle levels of provisioning. So. Something about cohabitation seems to be more of, of an effect, but uh, really there's not, um, there, there wasn't much of a difference between men who are, uh, are non-cohabiting and without children, uh, other than the, uh, the, the uh, immediate drop, this is, this is in the first 30 minutes of the day. Uh, the, the diurnal patterns do appear to be different. So overall, levels of testosterone uh, on average are not, are not different uh, based on, on uh, paternity or caregiving conditions. But uh, the diurnal patterns do seem to, sh seem to be different. So men, men perhaps are shifting their, their daily patterns of testosterone in some way. Um, and when you look at the effects of ecology, uh, these are people, uh, Bengali sedentees who, who are, are, have never left Bangladesh, uh, Bengalis resident in the UK, and uh, Europeans resident in the UK. And so there's a, there was a, uh, an interaction between cohabiting and uh, an ethnic and ethnicity and ecology. So uh, men in, in Bangladesh uh, who are 
not cohabiting have this decline throughout the day. Uh, the testosterone is highest when they wake up in the morning. Uh, and men who are, co who, who are cohabiting have an incline, a pronounced incline throughout the day. Uh, if men are moved to the UK, uh, the, the effect is reversed on whether uh, testosterone is higher when they're cohabiting or non-cohabiting. So cohabiting men living, Bangladeshi men living in the UK have lower testosterone. Uh, however, for ethnic Europeans, it's reversed again. So uh, ethnic Europeans who are cohabiting have higher testosterone and a more dynamic profile uh, than non-cohabiting ethnic Europeans. So something's going on with both ecology and uh, and social conditions that that varies based on these men's migration histories. Um, and uh, so the last question is whether testosterone, whether cohabiting or social conditions influence uh, the relationship between muscularity and testosterone. And here there's quite a clear picture of, of uh, differences based on these ethnic and ecological groupings. Um, men in Bangladesh have this, as I said before, comparatively, uh, the relationship between testosterone and, and, and muscularity is clearer in men living in Bangladesh. So in a more, what would be a more constrained ecology, there is a, there is a clearer trend. But again, it's not, it's not useful enough to say, okay, well, this guy is, is, uh, has higher testosterone because he's more muscular. It, to, to pick somebody up and, and identify them as a signal, it, it, it's not significant. Um, for Bengalis resident in the UK and, and Europeans resident in the UK, there's, uh, there's not much of a, of a, a trend at all. Uh, they have opposite trends, rather. Uh, so, for ethnic Bengalis resident in the UK, if they're non-cohabiting, um, then uh, their muscularity is uh, is related to a lower uh, a, a, a uh, increase an increase in, in uh, waking testosterone uh, in the first 30 minutes is related to lower muscularity, while men in the same social condition. <coughs> Ethnic Europeans have uh, a, an increasing trend, while the, while cohabiting seems to have an influence on, on, on uh, in the opposite direction. That uh, men with uh, higher testosterone at, at 30 minutes have uh, lower muscular if they're cohabiting. Question is, all right, so is mus muscularity a reliable signal of salivary testosterone? Um, there seems to be very little evidence that, that a muscular male is, uh, is, is advertising anything about the testosterone levels. Uh, there, there appears to be a, a, a high degree of contingency based on social or ecological variables. Um, there wasn't any indication that this actually varied by ethnicity, though, that, uh, that, that 
muscularity was a, a, the, the, the relationship between muscularity and, and, and salivary testosterone was, was um, influenced by, by whatever variables are captured in the, in, uh, in, uh, in, in the ethnic groupings. Um, for the, the second question, do social conditions associated with reduced competition or, or uh, increased investment influence levels of salivary testosterone? It looks like men who are caregiving do, uh, do adjust their testosterone patterns, but it seems to be a nonlinear sort of effect. Something about cohabiting men, uh, they, they, have a, they seem to adjust their patterns or, uh, in ways that non-cohabit, uh, the cohabiting fathers don't. Uh, so um, there might be, uh, the only place that, that I saw something that looked a little bit like social conditions could be uh, associated with uh, levels of salary testosterone was for fathers uh, in Bangladesh of, of children under the age of five. They had, uh, the, they, they had a significantly lower level of, of testosterone in the evening. So it could be that something, something is happening for fathers under this more constrained ecology. Uh, it's it's not a it's not a consistent effect. Social conditions are, are, are not consistent across across culturally. Um, and the final uh, the final question: Do social conditions somehow modify the relationship between salivary testosterone and muscle? Um, it's what 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 came up with model comparisons and in in, in the regressions was that testosterone is well, particularly in the, in the model comparisons, testosterone was uh, not necessary for the significant models. It was the, the ways in which you could predict uh, muscularity uh, were based on ecology and social conditions. So muscle seems to be much more closely related to whether a guy's a father, whether he lives in Bangladesh, than whether he has high testosterone or low testosterone. So there's some limitations here. Uh, the fatherhood data that, um, from other researchers tends to be cross uh, tends to be longitudinal. That's that's the most reliable. And what I have here is is just a snapshot of these men's lives. I don't so I don't know whether they ha whether testosterone is high for them, and and the same level of testosterone might be low for somebody else. Uh, there's a huge amount of variation, as we saw in that first slide, with the, the amount of variation in, in, in human levels of testosterone. Uh, there's uh, there's a possibility that uh, maybe the, maybe men are responding to their social conditions with a downregulation of testosterone that I'm just not seeing in this cross-sectional. Um, it may be that cohabiting men, because this kind of strange cohabiting effect that's not seen for cohabiting fathers, uh, it, it may be that those men, because these men do have higher testosterone and they, and they seem to be slightly more, uh, it, it, they are a better signal of their, uh, of their testosterone, their muscularity is a better signal of their testosterone. It, it may be this is a special group, that these men are um, indicating uh, 
their sexual their 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 sexual selection desirability, or perhaps these men are more likely to stay in cohabiting relationships, or they or they just have more of them, more serially, or something like that. Uh, and uh, while there were some in indications that that diurnal patterns are influenced uh, by uh, caregiving and by ecology. Um, I don't have a picture of what might be happening overnight because I only measured these uh, guys' testosterone when they're awake and during the day. So, it could, so what's going on overnight is still a little bit unknown. Um, and uh, so, yeah, with that, um, I guess I would say it's one of those annoying talks where I don't have something that ties it all up in a neat, tidy box, but uh, just to say it's complicated, and uh, when you walk down the street and you pick out somebody from a lineup or whatever you do, you're probably not going to have any clues based on their muscularity about how much testosterone they have. Um, and so when people talk about what, what somebody who has high testosterone would look like, you're probably not going to come up with the right, uh, right image. So uh, thank you very much, and look forward to hearing.